Welcome to Crosspoint. My name is Dave, and uh, we're thankful you're with us. A couple of uh, family news things to, um, to kind of include you guys in on. First service, uh, Tony Beal and Kara Ruder both got baptized. Um, I would encourage you, if you're listening on the podcast, to listen to their testimonies. Great, encouraging things to hear about how uh, God is changing lives. Because baptisms remind us of a couple things. They remind us that they remind us of the gospel that Jesus was uh, died on the cross and rose again on the third day. That we've been in the same way that our old selves have been buried and we've been raised to walk in obedience to Him through faith and by the grace of God. And then baptisms also remind us that Jesus is still in the business of changing lives and and still in the business of restoring and redeeming lives. And so I encourage you to listen to those testimonies. And then uh, in in um, aspect of being dedicated to one another, I wanted to share with you Julie Miller's father passed away this past uh, Friday, and so I encourage you to be praying for them and loving on them right now and uh, just be dedicated to one another in that way, all right? <clears throat> uh, this morning, we're in week three of our reminder series, uh, kind of taking the four weeks prior to our 10-year anniversary and reminding us of the vision, reminding us of some things that God has called us to as a church. Uh, the first couple weeks, we've looked at Devoted to Jesus. Last week, we looked at, dr- at Driven to Reach People with She is Safe. If you missed that message, uh, that audio is not online, and we have CDs available at Guest Connections for you to grab. If, uh, if you missed that, I strongly encourage you to listen to it. And then today, we're looking at being dedicated to one another, a uh, life in the body of Christ. Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love him with everything that we have. And the second commandment was like it, uh, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Loving God leads to a life of loving others. And I want to talk about a culture that's been around Crosspoint from day one. It was there when Crosspoint was simply a small group of eight adults meeting in our uh, front living room in 2001 and 2002. It was there when Crosspoint was in a storefront and we had 75 people coming on a Sunday morning. It's been a part of our culture, no matter the size of church that we are or the place that we have met for Sunday mornings. Uh, It will be at the core of who we are if we grow to a thousand people or send out church plants or start new services or launch new sites. And it's been that way and it will be that way because it's it's not our our idea or because we're that creative. It's been that way because it's a biblical idea. It was at the center of the early New Testament church. And so we believe that it's something that we are called to model as a church. And what is this something? Well, that something is community. It's relationships with one another. What does uh, being dedicated to one another look like in the church family? And that's what I want to look at this morning. If you have a Bible on your lap, go to Galatians 6. We'll be looking at the first 10 verses. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, if you the verses will be on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, I encourage you to grab one at Guest Connections. Call that your own. Let that be our gift to you. And if you do own a Bible, bring that with you on Sunday mornings. So you can kind of, in a sense, open up that tool. Let's underline, let's circle, let's make notes. See what the Holy Spirit just kind of impresses upon your heart uh, and, and <clears throat> make note of that in your own Bible. That'd be a, a good practice to get into. So the story of Scripture is this. The story of our lives is that God creates us. Creation happens. Everything is good and perfect and beautiful. Humanity's relationship with their Creator is perfect. Nothing is separating man and God. Uh, relationships between uh, people are in harmony. There's no strife, no jealousy, no pride, no self-seeking motives. I mean, it sounds a little foreign, doesn't it? Well, that's because it's Genesis 1 and 2. And as a result, Genesis 3 happens, and we read of the fall of man. Sin, dishonor, disobedience, pride, it enters the world for the first time. And that perfect garden, that perfect world is fractured. Everything is broken. Creation just kind of groans and aches and creaks 
because it's not functioning the way God has designed it. It's broken because of sin. And into the mix of relationships are added things like loneliness and anger and despair, frustration, jealousy, finger-pointing, blame. And all of that finds its root in the fact that we live in a broken, fallen world as a result of sin. God sees this brokenness, though, and extends grace. Even in the garden, you see him extending grace. And he sets into motion a plan to rescue and redeem the world. His rescue plan to send his one and only son, who has always existed, to send him in the flesh to dwell among us, to be born of a virgin, live a perfect sinless life, the kind of life that no human could ever live. That God would then, that, that son would then die on a cross bearing the, the God's anger, God's wrath towards sin, substituting himself for us, dying the death that we should have died, and then on the third day rise again, proving that he was the son of God and that he has the power over anything on this planet. And through the death and resurrection of Christ, Jesus then offers salvation by grace through faith alone to all who would believe. Jesus serves as the, the reconciler, the one who brings, uh, bridges this gap between uh, a sinful, unholy people and a perfect, sinless, uh, beautiful, holy God. And as a result of him being the mediator, him being the reconciler, we are adopted into God's family. Our past, present, and future sin is all wiped out. And now the Lord looks on us in righteousness because this great exchange has happened on the cross where all our unrighteousness and all our ugliness was laid upon Jesus. And in exchange, we are clothed in his beauty and his righteousness. This is scandalous how good this good news truly is. And it's humbling and amazing to be loved by God that much. Our identity now is not in what we do, or who we are, or where we came from, or, or, or the good or bad that we've done in our lives, our identity now is in Christ alone. That we are loved and forgiven and, re- and blessed and restored and redeemed and made new. And then not only through Jesus are his followers reconciled back to their creator, back to the Father, but then we're reconciled to one another in the family of God. And as a result, this new beautiful community is formed. And Jesus and the gospel sit in the middle of this community. Not uh, our affinity, not the sports teams we cheer for, not the uh, music we like or listen to, but it's Jesus who brings us together. Because this community is designed to reflect him then to the world around us. He reconciles us to the Father and he reconciles or joins us to one another in the family of God. So then we're part of this big new family with lots of brothers and sisters and throughout the New Testament we get glimpses into what this new community should look like, how it should act, how it treats one another, how it deals with the sibling that wants to run off away from the family, how it resolves conflict, how it loves one another, how it cares for one another and walks with one another. We see this all throughout the New Testament, and today we're going to look at just a small slice in Galatians 6. And one continual theme in this new, te- in this new community is, is that it's formed with, not with you and I at the center of it. Like the premise of the community is not about the idea of what I can get out of this or how, the, how will these people serve me? Or how will they stroke my ego or tell me what I need to hear or, or tell me what I want to hear? How will they serve me? How will, how will me be at the center? It's none of that because Jesus and the gospel sit at the center of it all. That becomes the community's identity. So we love because he first loved us and we forgive because he first forgave us. In Galatians 6, we get a glimpse into the habits and culture of this new community that's formed with Jesus at the center. 
And if you've been around Crosspoint for any length of time, you've heard messages on community. You've heard this truth preached before in different contexts. And so it'd be really easy on a, on a day like this to go kind of switch it off and be like, oh yeah, I got this down. I got community down. But I encourage you to, to just be open to the Spirit's work in your life. I know personally I needed to be reminded of some things here in Galatians 6. And I pray it'll be a, a, a good reminder for us because without continual reminders, we get off track. We get off center and we, we can begin to think or define community into what we think rather than what's God, God's words say. And these 10 verses, like I said, are just a small slice into what biblical life-giving mutual community is all about. So let's get into it. Galatians 6, verse 1. Uh, I'll, talk, I'll read a little verse, and I'll talk a lot, and then I'll read a little verse, and we'll just kind of work through it in that way. <clears throat> Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin... Now, that does not mean, aha, I caught you. I caught you in the act of lying, or I caught you in the act of not showing love. It's not the idea of being caught in the act of sin. Maybe if you're a parent and you have more than one child, you've seen this before. Like one sibling just kind of has this secret badge that they wear underneath their shirt and they are the sin police. I mean, this badge entitles them to sniff out sin and be like, ah, she's lying or he's lying. And it just kind of comes out in that way. This is not that. No one, no one wants to be in community with a bunch of people wearing referee shirts blowing whistles, throwing flags every time they see a foul. This is not the idea of busting someone. This is not grade school recess where in in the four square, he's bubbling, he's bubbling, or in in kickball, no, she's leading off. It's not that. Instead, this is saying, brothers, sisters, if any of you are entangled, ensnared, drowning, if you're in trouble, if you're beginning to be overtaken by this wave, then what's the response of the community? You who are spiritual should restore him. And let me say this. I've been there. I've been on both ends of this. The person who is trying to restore someone gently and the person who needed to be restored. Neither, if we're honest, are like a trip to Six Flags or to go get a chocolate shake. It's not that way. These can be difficult, awkward places to be. But as someone who has been restored with grace, I can tell you to engage the friend, it's worth it. It's eternally worth it. To have a friend love me enough to kind of throw me the life ring of grace, to extend grace, to tell me what I needed to hear, not necessarily what I wanted to hear, it was good for my heart. You who are spiritual. Another translation, I think the NIV says this, those who live by the Spirit. And to understand that, you need to Go back up to Galatians 5. Keep in mind, this is just one big long letter. So earlier in the letter, Galatians 5, Paul's talking about life in the Spirit, and he, and he describes the fruit of the Spirit. Not nine, different quali- not nine different pieces of fruit. One fruit of the Spirit characterized by, by nine virtues. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who are walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living in the Spirit, keeping step with the Spirit, Being led by the Spirit means not being led by spiritual pride. Um, Because some could take this verse and spin it and go, well, see, I am spiritual. That's what what Paul's talking about here because I know a lot. And in turn, pride could be the underlying motivating factor. And keep in mind, Paul said just a few verses back, let us not become conceited. 
Because then instead of ever looking at our own heart or confessing our own sin or, get, or humbling ourselves, all we want to do is point out everyone else's sin and how they are falling short and what they need to change versus looking at our own hearts. So Paul reminds us that no, no, that, that's not what being spiritual is about. Rather, those who are led by the Spirit, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, reflecting Jesus, it's our job to engage the sibling, the friend who is ensnared or caught starting to go past the safety marker, starting to drown. And so why do we engage? Is it to uh, plunk them on the head or flick them on the head? No, it's to restore them. The ultimate goal is restoration. Because when we see someone in trouble uh, and the enemy starts to get this foothold, we are reminded that God didn't design us for isolation. God didn't design us to go look at the person past the safety markers deep into the ocean and go, good luck with that. But instead, we are to follow Jesus together. We fight sin together. We get vulnerable and honest with one another in the body of Christ. And keep in mind, this is not just about sins of commission that we get ensnared in. And by that, I mean sins that the Lord commands us not to do, but we do anyways. Lie, cheat, steal, have sex with those outside of marriage, hate, gossip. I mean, those are the ones that we we tend to focus on at the neglect of the sins of omission and think, well, I don't do those 10 things. I'm not like those people over there. So I'm good. Radical obedience in one area does not excuse radical disobedience in another area of your life. Sins of omission are the ones we often want to avoid talking about because they they just kind of hit a little bit closer to home. Omission meaning when we don't do what we're supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to love that person, but I just despise them. I know I'm told to be generous with my money, but come on, I got to get what's mine first. I know I'm told to humble myself, but have you seen all that I know and have done? I mean, come on. I know I'm supposed to love my wife and respect my husband and and not neglect the word, but fill in the excuse or the blank that is, we just kind of insert there. These are the areas of sin that we often gloss over or neglect because they hit just a little bit too close to home for us. And yet they're equally as destructive to our own lives. So the Bible calls us to engage, not as detectives, not as gossips, not as Action 9 news reporters. It's not that. As friends instead, as co-heirs with Christ, as a fellow sibling in the same family. So how do we go about doing this? Am I just supposed to come at, come at them with guns blazing and six verses locked and loaded in my truth revolver and just like, here we go, let's go time? No, rather, Paul says, in a spirit of gentleness. Restore in a spirit of gentleness. Now, gentleness can be kind of a vague term to some people. Depending on your personality and how you're wired, a gentle word might feel like a hammer or it might feel like a feather. So what's this look like? Well, in short, it looks like Jesus. And I know that's kind of the cop-out answer, like Jesus' Bible prayer. I mean, we're good with any kind of question that gets answered that way, but it looks like Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 10.1, Jesus is described as gentle and meek. The same root word Jesus uses in Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The idea behind the Greek here is the 
uh, uh, behind uh, gentleness is real strength under control. A gentleness that is truly strong. So not doormat, not wishy-washy, not limp noodle, but also not gatling gun, truth grenade. Rather coming alongside in gentleness, speaking the truth in love, clothed in humility. We will approach another brother or sister. We will engage in that conversation gently if we're aware of the fact that but for the grace of God, there go I. Now, that's not scripture, but it's a true statement, is it not? That we're just a handful of choices away from going down the same kind of path or allowing the same thing to ensnare our own hearts. Because if we come from a place of, oh, that could never happen to me. I'm so past that. I'm just so superior to that. We will never be able to come gently. It will be impossible for us because we will take far, much, far too much delight in trying to uh, uh, simply correct someone or being God's little helper rather than being a co-laborer and a sibling in the family of God. Instead, we understand that anything good in our lives is not because of us. It's because of the grace of God. So then we're not going to make it about us. When we come gently as, as real strength under the control of the Holy Spirit, then we extend the hand and say, let's go. Come on, let, let's go. Let's, let's go this direction instead. I'll walk with you. Keep, we, uh, keep watching over yourself unless you be tempted. And this isn't just uh, tempted to kind of fall into the same type of sin, like helping the drowning person and then you getting drowned as well because they kind of take you under. Now, that, that is one reference that Paul is speaking of here. And I've seen friends beginning to follow Jesus kind of get ensnared and fall back into some things because they, they fall back into this temptation. But on the flip side, the temptation is here is if we don't keep watching over our own, our own hearts, if we're, if we're not real strength under the control of the Holy Spirit, submitting, submitting to his control, then we fall into the sin of spiritual pride. And instead of coming alongside, we come from down, uh, from up on high. If we're restoring with gentleness, then our motive is compassion. Some of you are wired with this, with a high value of justice. You hate to see wrong. And that angst in you, that feeling in you, is reflective of God's heart and his desire for purity and holiness but my caution to you is not to use that as then as, as license to neglect gentleness and compassion. For those qualities also describe the God we are called to reflect. So let me speak to the two parties here involved. The one who are, uh, first of all, the ones who are spiritual, being led by the Spirit. You see the friend, the, the sibling ensnared in this kind of pattern of sin showing up in them. Questions for you. Do you want to be right? Do you want to be seen as superior Uber godly, or is it out of genuine love and concern and compassion? We really need to test and examine our motives. Now, to the one who's on the receiving end of such a conversation, a couple things I've learned uh, after doing it right and doing it wrong. I think I've learned more after doing it wrong. My wife could attest to this and some of the stories that we have. Uh, a fellow sibling comes to you and says, Hey, I. I see this in your life, and I just want to talk to you about it and hear where you're at and just have a conversation about it. Don't immediately turn the tables and go, what about you? Are you saying you're perfect? Who gives you the, what gives you the right to judge me? Just, just receive it. 
Just receive it. Don't deflect it. Even if the person came at you with no gentleness and they lobbed a truth grenade into your home, that's happened to me. Uh, For example, uh, years ago, I had someone come into my office and and they were yelling and they were red-faced and they were irate, all right? Accusing me of a lot and a lot of venom being spewed. And I I didn't even get up from my chair because I didn't want to try to escalate the situation and just praying for, uh, for God to be there. And I will say this, even in a massive amount of venom, there's typically an ounce of truth that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. Now, sometimes it's difficult to kind of weed through that and figure it out. But if we're open to the Holy Spirit, it's there. It's there nestled somewhere. And it was there in that situation for me. But if we deflect immediately, ultimately we could be rejecting the grace of God that he's trying to extend to us through that person's life. Secondly, if you're the person receiving this conversation and someone's engaging you in this, don't go find a coalition of people who agree with you. Or a coalition of people who will say, yeah, that person's dumb for doing that or how silly that was for them to engage you in it. You're not building a campaign team here. Remember, this is one family pursuing unity by the grace of God. And so we work through it for the glory of God. And let's also be honest for a minute. We're not very good at this, are we? I'm not very good at this sometimes, whether engaging or receiving. We're not very good at this because our pride on both ends of the conversation can really get in the way. And the best place for this kind of a conversation to happen is in community groups. It's in those close, I love you enough to, to share this. I love you enough to engage in a conversation about it. Because when we do that, they, they can be beautiful, redemptive, grace-filled types of moments. I'm finally to verse 2. How about it? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So not only do we engage in the conversation, but then we say to one another, I'll help you carry that. I'll walk with you through that. Not drive-by truth shooting. Good luck with that. Not that. But coming alongside. In gentleness. Saying, I'll help pull you to shore. Let's swim this wave together. Come on, let's go. And that burden can be a habitual sin, your past, financial, emotional, anything. And and Paul doesn't give us a list here, and I I love that. Because it's just kind of all-encompassing. Small, big, burdens that are over in a few days, burdens that kind of last a lifetime. A community that is centered on the gospel is constantly reminded that Jesus bore our burdens. And so we, in turn, reflect that uh, to one another. We, we reflect that as the hands and feet of the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you, as your pastor, this is happening, church family. One of the most incredible things for me is to, is to witness people caring for people, the body of Christ being the body of Christ. Going to hospitals, making the meals, sending notes, going to, uh, going to visit, making the phone call. And man, we don't, we don't always get this right, but when we do, it's beautiful. And I'm grateful. And as we grow, we need to be reminded of this kind of culture, this culture of bearing one another's burdens. That can't be, yeah, yeah, those first 10 years, boy, we nailed that one. But yeah, since September 2013, I guess we just really haven't done that around here. We, we just got too big for that. The New Testament church was 3,000 within, within a day, and it was there. So it has nothing to do with our church size. 
It has something to do much more with our heart. And are we willing to continue to put Jesus at the center of this community where we bear one another's burdens because he bore our burdens? Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Once again, Paul reminding us of of the matter of our pride and how much it can hinder and kill community. So pride causes us to, to look at our own burdens and subtly, subtly judge the burdens and compare ours to other people and say, well, mine's bigger than theirs. And, and we begin to kind of, our pride gets in the way. But community is not me-centered, it's Jesus-centered. And so we serve because he washed feet and we humble ourselves because he humbled himself to the point of being obedient to death on a cross. Verse 4, but let each one test his own work And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Now, this is an odd verse to me in this section. Because he's talking about humility and then suddenly he's saying that we need to boast in ourselves. But here's what he's saying. Stop looking to others to somehow find your identity. For example, if, if you're new to reading the Bible and you're around people that are just kind of this walking catalog of verses. I mean, they're BibleGateway.com in the human form. I got a verse for you and I got a reference for you. And you could just feel this kind of crushing weight. It goes, man, God must really love them. God must not love me as much as, as, much as that person. Or on the flip side, if you're around your circle of friends at school, at work, in your neighborhood, you're, you're on Facebook, you're on social media, and you, you could begin to think, man, these people don't have a clue. These people, you just kind of get puffed up with self-righteousness and go, man, God sure loves me for what I do and what I know. Both of which are completely contrary to finding our identity in Christ, who loves us simply as an act of grace and not a work of our own. So Paul is saying, don't measure yourself laterally to those around you. Measure yourself, measure your own heart against the standard of Christ and what he's called you and me to to be and do. So with that in mind, verse 5 says, for each will have to bear his own load. Once again, kind of a confusing verse of, well, he just said bear one another's burdens and what, what in the world is he talking about? But burden and load are not the same idea in the Greek. Burden is too heavy for one person. Think appliance, um, furniture, piano. If you've moved, you get this. Load isn't like that. I can carry my load. I can carry my own backpack. Your load, and my load is your workplace, uh, your neighborhood, your hobby, those people around you, the life God has given you. I can't go to your job and do your work and vice versa. I can't live in your house and try to reach your family and vice versa. These are the loads we carry, and we can't escape those. So if you're a parent, you can't put the load of discipling your children just kind of onto the church like, boom, you guys do this, right? No, instead the church comes alongside you to equip you and encourage you, but this is your load and my load to own and be accountable for of discipling and investing into that next generation. Verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, this is an awkward verse to teach on, all right, because this verse is, in some ways, is uh, is referring to Eric and I, a couple of the people that are subject of this verse. Like, if I was really self-serving, we'd just stop the service right now, we'd take up an offering for Eric and I, and that would be weird and awesome at the same time, all right? But 
He's, he's not, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. But the Bible calls us to proclaim and teach the word of God. So he's saying here and other places, make sure you take care of and provide for the needs of those who teach the word. Don't take them for granted. Honor them and be generous toward them. Let me say, let's say this. Uh, we feel very loved and cared for you by Crosspoint. I'm speaking for both Eric's family and my own. Uh, the elders and the finance team have a culture of meeting the needs of the staff and fulfilling what this verse is talking about. And we're very, very grateful. And here's the reality of this verse as well, though. I'm not the only teacher of the word here, and neither is Eric. You, you, we have leaders in hype and teachers and sun chasers who are helping to teach the word of God to the next generation. So can I encourage you to be generous in your thanks and your love and your generosity toward those people, toward those volunteers. We want this culture in our church that reflects Romans 12, 10, which says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love and honor one another above yourselves. A culture of honor and outdoing one another. Like how encouraging would it be if, if I had this, you know, let's say a fellow pastor kind of come to me and say, well, what's the biggest issue uh, cross point right now? And I would say, well, it's just people are um, just kind of outdoing one another. Oh, you mean like keeping up with the Joneses and, you know, just, just doing you know, materially and keeping up with one another? And no, 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 not that. In to honor one another. They're just making this a competition in how they honor and love one another. I tell you, it, if we continue to have that kind of culture and lean into that culture, that culture reflects God and brings Him glory. And that testimony goes worldwide, quite honestly if we have this kind of culture of outdoing one another in how we honor and love one another. Do not be deceived, verse 7 starts with. When we read these words, we need to perk up because he's about to address an area uh, where we have a tendency to think we're right when we're actually wrong. Nothing is more dangerous than thinking uh, you and I were, were right when we're actually wrong, specifically in eternal matters and the things of God. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The deception of walking in a way that we believe is honoring to the Lord, but is actually mocking Him. And here are two big ways we mock God. Legalism is the first one. And by that, I mean the idea that if you and I, we just try and do the right things and not do the wrong, wrong things, that you'll be accepted and loved by God. And it's mocking God because you're basically saying, I have no need for Jesus. I have no need for the blood, no need for the cross. I mean, you were that good and that awesome that you didn't need a Savior. And that you've actually obeyed the law enough to earn your salvation through works. That thought is mocking the truth that salvation is by faith and by the grace of God. And it's a gift given to us, extended to us through Christ Jesus. Another big way we mock God is, through, is called license is what I call it. We just decide that we're smarter than he is and we know more and we, we don't need forgiveness or we're unwilling to come under the authority of scripture and it's a dangerous place to be. To allow your heart to be puffed up with pride uh, or to allow your heart to grow cold to the things of God and his work in your, in your heart. In the context of community, legalism and license are community killers because in the legalistic group, all you get is law and truth. So when you screw up, when you blow it, when you realize that you just don't measure up, there's no one to turn to. 
There's no grace to receive because you're sitting in this circle, you're sitting in this community, and you're thinking, oh, all these people have it together, and I guess, I, I guess I'm the only one. And so instead of being honest, you just kind of keep that inward because the legalistic culture is dominated that group. On the flip side, license is also a community killer because in that kind of group, no one speaks the truth in love. No one says, hey, that, that isn't right. Hey, let, come on, let's walk this way instead. Can I point this out in your heart? I think the Holy Spirit wants me to do this. That doesn't happen in the group with license as the culture. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He's going back to the idea that he wrote about in Galatians five sixteen through 26, that there are two forces in opposition to one another the flesh and the spirit. <clears throat> and as a result, there are two kinds of seeds that we can sow. Seeds of the flesh and the sin nature being the first one. So when we give in to sin on a repeated basis, we're sowing seeds. And so it shouldn't shock us then that we are reaping the consequences and hurt as a result. Ultimately, corruption, what, what Paul talks about here is it means decay or death. Eventually, our sin will lead to death and an eternity separated from God if we don't repent or turn from our sin and believe on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Sometimes people just blame their consequences on another person of, or, or, well, it's just life. But if you and I were to look back with sober judgment, we could see this kind of trail of seeds that we've sown to the flesh. And if that's you, whether on the podcast or here in this room, you're still breathing, I want to remind you that God is the God of second chances. So turn around. Let's sow a different kind of seed. Do you find yourself weary and burdened because of it? Well, this is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So let's, let's stop sowing seed of the flesh. Let's sow seed to the eternal life, to the things of God. Let's reap the things of God rather than reaping the consequences and hurt as a result of sowing seed to the flesh. It's not too late. There are testimonies all through Scripture, testimonies all through the, uh, the Crosspoint body that speak to this truth. It's not too late to switch your bag of seed. Say, I'm done with that one. Let's go with this one. I've tried that. It clearly doesn't work. I'm going to go with this one. The other kind of seed that we can sow are seeds of the Spirit. Do you ever have that moment where you're like, man, I'm just so overwhelmed at all there is to learn or, or yet, to, uh, yet to learn in the Word or how much growth there is to yet to take place in my own heart? And that thinking can kind of lead to this discouragement of, oh, well, I just, why, why even bother? I'm just so behind or whatever kind of goes through your mind. That thought doesn't come from your loving Father. Paul's reminding us, be faithful to sow good seed. And when we do, we will reap the things of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and so on. We sow seed when we read our Bibles. We sow seed when we pray. We sow seed when we set aside time for community. We sow good seed when, we, when we're beginning to walk in this way. No, 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 my identity is not in that anymore. My identity is in Christ, not in the old nature. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it around. I'm going to sow seed this direction. This is practically what it looks like to sow good seed. And can I encourage you to sow and cast seed with a 5 or 10 or 20 year view, not just tomorrow, not just tomorrow, but, but think generationally. 
Think generationally. Think beyond even your lifetime, the legacy that you're leaving. The things that grow up from the seed that you're leaving, is, is, is it going to be the flesh or is it going to be eternally the things of the Spirit? Community is not something we do later or when life is less busy or when the kids get older or when we do have kids. Whatever excuses that you and I have. So my encouragement to you this fall is to sow seeds of community. Sow seeds into relationships. And I love the final encouragement here in verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> Verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Once again, um, if you and I keep sowing good seed, we will reap. <coughs> But Paul's truthful here. Community is hard. He's not going to pull any punches here. It can be draining, wearisome. Do not grow weary. It will cause you to add one more thing to your calendar. It will cause you to engage in some messy and awkward relationships sometimes. But, but in the end, it's worth it. It's worth it. We don't invest into others in life and community in order to get something in return. Our motivation for doing good is that good, is that good has been done to us through Jesus, when we were undeserving of it, no less. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and, uh, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. So two statements being made here. Do good to all people, believers, unbelievers. In Matthew 5, Jesus reminds us that our good deeds bring glory to the Father. And he's also saying, especially do good to those within this new community that's formed with Jesus at the center. And all of that... All of this, we're talking about Galatians 6, it just can't happen on a Sunday morning. It can't happen in rows and one guy talking all the time. It can't happen as we, as we just sing and, and, and there's no kind of one anothering happening. It happens in the context of community groups, smaller pockets of the body caring for one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. This is why we'll never stop pushing you from simply attending a service, never stop pushing you toward the middle of the body of Christ to push you into relationship, into community with one another. Because there, in the body of Christ, we're admitting our need for one another, our reliance on one another. We're admitting, saying, I can't do this on my own. I can't follow Jesus alone. I need a community around me. And you need me, and I need you. This is what the body of Christ looks like. And so that's all the more reason that each of us find 3D community, is what we'd call it, uh, with one another. As a church, we want to offer some environments for that community to happen. But then it's on you and me to be active in our pursuit of that, not just simply kind of be passive and I hope, I hope they come to me, but instead to, to pursue community with one another. So here are some potential next steps for you to take after today. If you're new to Crosspoint, uh, if you haven't taken Discover Crosspoint before, I encourage you to take it. It's our membership class. It starts September 15th an opportunity to get to know who we are as a church, why we do what we do, how you can join us in this mission that we are on, that Jesus has called us to. And so I encourage you to be a part of that. And then this last year, we've done what we've called a Got Community event at the beginning of each semester to help people bridge the gap between Sunday mornings and community groups. Because it's great if we can preach it and we would say, yes, yes, I agree, but now practically, what do I do? And so this is kind of that practical bridge that we hope to offer you uh, this morning. So here are a couple goals in your program. Uh, you've got a GOT community. You want to pull this out? In the front side, you've got some, uh, some contact info. And then, yes, I would like to get connected with a community group. 
Yes, I need a group that offers childcare. You can check those if, if those apply. And then the days of the week that work for you to find community. After the service, you will find uh, people in all the orange shirts, got community. Those are community group leaders. So after the service, give this card to them, and we will then help kind of bridge that gap between uh, Sunday morning and finding community and help connect you to a group. The people that have the stickers on, these are the people that are in community groups. And so you can ask them, okay, what, what group do you go to? And I know you, and maybe I'll go with you. And so all of that, uh, we pray, will happen after the service here. And so then when you uh, uh, are carrot for you to give this, this card, is we'll give you a cup that says Crosspoint on it, all right? That's awesome, isn't it? So um, we will uh, we'll give a free Bible to you if you need a good Bible. But I just encourage you to take a next step. Uh, there's no icebreakers on the back. So I would say this, if, to meet somebody after the service, or even if you're talking to somebody in the orange shirts, talking to a leader, ask them, how long have you been coming to Crosspoint? Uh, what was your favorite thing about this summer? And just a couple conversation starters. So take a next step toward community this morning. Um, let me pray, and, uh, and we'll go from there. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that because of the cross that you have reconciled us to one another, that you've given us this great big family with lots of brothers and sisters, and you've called us to pursue unity as a church family. I thank you for the truth from Galatians 6. I know there's a lot there, and I pray that you give us wisdom and discernment to know how to step and where to go and what needs to apply to our lives and what actions we need to take. God, I pray that uh, in the conversations that will happen after the service, I pray that you would help, uh, help us find community, help us to discover what it's like to live in the body of Christ, not simply attend a service, but live in the body of Christ and practice the one another's that you've called us to. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your great love for us that's continued to uh, just be lavished on us. Your love is unfailing and never ending and never quitting and never giving up. We're so grateful and we love you, Jesus. In your name, amen.